You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Luke chapter 19. Stand with me if you would. We're going to drop down to verse number 28. Luke 19, verse number 28. And we're going to read through verse 41. So you know where we're going to stop. So you don't have to worry about how long you're going to be standing. All right, Luke 19, verse number 28. The Bible says, And when he had thus spoken, and Jesus just gave a parable, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he was come nigh unto Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereupon yet never a man set. Loose him, and bring him thither. And if any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way, and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh even now, at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that uh, you'll take this next few moments and use it to help your people. Use it to help the people that are here people you love, the people you care about, the people you died for. Help them, uh, help our hearts to be open to hear how you would have us be, how you would have us change to be more like you, how you would have us give and sacrifice and serve to live for you. Help us to have that mindset, help us to be willing to have that mindset that nothing else matters but you. Help me as I speak, Lord, help my thoughts to be clear and just uh, help what the message you have to convey to be what you would have it be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So you probably have read parts of this story, understand what's going on. It's Palm Sunday a lot of times. This is a story that is read, but Jesus has been out doing works in his whole life. Uh, he has been who he is, and he is just finishing up his ministry, and he knows going here that he's coming into Jerusalem for the last time. The end of this journey will end up with him on a cross, dying for our sins and all the sins of the city. And I did say, I think I said I would read through verse 41, and I only read through 40. But if you read verse 41, it says that when he had come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it. So he's coming into the city, and he's coming to die for everyone that's there. They, not a lot of them know it. Not a lot of them even understand who he is, necessarily. Some love him, some hate him. Um, there's a lot of mixed kind of people and their attitudes and perceptions of who Jesus is and what he has done. 
But as he's coming down the Mount of Olives, it kind of descends down into the city of Jerusalem. Not that I've ever been there, but I've seen some pictures. But it comes down into the city. And as he was going there, you know, we read the story. He asked his disciples to go, go get a colt for him to ride on. And I, I find, I like it how he's like, and they're going to ask you, basically say, they're going to say, what are you doing? That's our, that's our property. Why are you, got, why are you loosening their property? Just be like if you had a dog, right? And you're someone, a stranger came up and was like, I'm going to take your, doesn't even tell you, just starts taking your dog out of your backyard, takes him off the leash and picks him up or just starts leading him. And you're like, uh, what are you doing with my dog? It'd be like, the Lord needs him. Like, okay, yeah, all right, go ahead. No, you would be like, uh, no. But then, right, just tell, them, just tell them the Lord, the Lord has need of them. And so they're loosening the colt. They're like, this, I mean, you're stealing, right? <laughs> you're stealing someone else's property and very valuable property. And so they're loosening them. They're like, please, no one asks us, no one asks us. It's like when you knock on the door, don't be home, don't be home, don't be home, right? They're like, no one look out the window, no, they're looking out the window, oh, are they coming this way? Yeah, they're coming this way. Well, man, what are we going to say? Well, just say what Jesus said. So they come out there, why are you loosening the colt? The Lord has need of him. And it's like, oh, okay, go ahead. And they just take him. So this little mini, mini part in here is just obey God. If you do what God says, things work out. You obey God, God fulfills what he says he's going to do, and you're taken care of, even when you're stealing somebody's donkey. Um, don't steal someone's donkey unless the Lord tells you to. All right? And if the Lord tells you to, uh, we, we need to take you somewhere. Um, okay, so way off on the side. Sorry, rabbit trail. Um, so Jesus knows why he's coming into Jerusalem. Right? He is fully aware of why he's coming there. And the people, some of his disciples know, they even aren't really sure. We find out later. They're, they're even knowing, even though Jesus has explicitly told them what's about to happen, they're still like, ah, no, that doesn't seem like why you're here. Because they think they know better than even God does. But as he comes down, the people that have been watching him do these things, and not too long beforehand, he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Like they, a lot of people got to see, and in other accounts of the Gospels, it talks about people that saw that were there. Like they know what Jesus has done. And some people had heard the story, the legend, right, travels, just like we hear stories. But many of the people here were there when that happened. When a dead man that had been dead for four days came out of a grave because this man, Jesus, said, come. I mean, can you imagine that happening? So there are people there that have seen that. They have heard his teachings. They've seen him heal blind people. That just happened as he was coming into town, too. The blind man yelled. He heard the commotion. He's like, what's going on? And someone said, Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And he had heard of Jesus and just started screaming Jesus' name. You know, I also often have these pictures in my head when stories like this happen and he heals lame people or blind people, especially because they can't, they can't find him. And I'm just thinking, they're like, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus. Like in my mind. But they're not. They're screaming at the top of their, like, last resort, Jesus. And I'm not going to do it because we have new speakers and I don't know what will happen, so I don't want the microphone to go nuts. But they are screaming like a last resort, life-altering thing. They are desperate for healing they are desperate for him like des like end of your rope life shattering desperate if i don't have him i'm doomed type desperation and oftentimes we get so used to these accounts that they just become blah 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 and we don't realize put ourselves in that real life situation where it happened and what these people wanted and needed and what jesus did for them change that man's life regardless of what happens after his life is different forever because he met the lord 
So as he's coming down, he understands, Jesus knows what's going to happen. And he's, he's ready. And we know he'll pray to God and say, if, if we can pass, if we can do this some other way, I would like to. But if not, I'm ready. The Lord's ready to die. The no, he knows why he's coming in. He's ready and he's almost, I don't know if he's excited about it. But even, you know, when we get into a point where we know something bad is going to happen, but we know we can get through it, we have to face it, you kind of get that, you just kind of like stand up and steal yourself and be like, all right, it's not going to be fun, big deep breath, but we're going to do it, we're going to get through it, and it's, it's going to be good when we get to the other side. I think that's how Jesus felt. He was, didn't look forward to it. He knew it was not going to be fun as the man part of him, but as the God part of him, he knew it was the redemption of his creation. And so he's, I believe he steeled himself and was almost excited to get to it, not for the, the thing that happens, but the purpose and the reason that it was there. And so as he comes down, I think, I mean, I'm, this is just me guessing. That might be some of the things he thought about as he was coming through. Then we get down to verses 30 through 34, and he tells him to go get the, the colt. And you realize, and this kind of came up in the, the men's retreat, God has dominion over everything. Right, everybody is is it has to obey him. He is the ruler and the creator of everything. Even those that live this life, not to obey and not to follow, one day they don't. They have to, because he is God. Right? Just again, a lot of little rabbit trails. I kind of planned for them, so I hope you're along with me. Uh, verse 35 through 38. There, they talk about the people, the disciples, those that followed him throughout. You know, and as the, the congregation grew as he got closer to Jerusalem, and as he's coming down the Mount of Olives, he's on this colt. They start taking palm branches, putting them down before him. They start taking off their jackets, and they're close so, so the, the animal he's riding on doesn't have to touch the dirty street. Not even him, but his animal that he's riding on. It's never had a human ride on him before. They're putting things down so his animal doesn't have to touch dirt on the ground. And they're preparing the way for their king, is what they think. A lot of them think he's coming in to be king now, today, on the throne here, and we're going to kick Rome out of here, and we're going to live under a king. We know that's not necessarily what he was going to do that day, but will someday. But they had seen him do so many things. They had seen the things I mentioned, Lazarus, the blind men, I mean, the food, the, the food that he had provided, the feeding all those people. Surely some of those people are still around, and they just started to get excited. It's like a parade, the Super Bowl parade, right? When they come in and all the fans of the Super Bowl, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year, this last year, all the fans of that team are just like, this is the best. They just hoot and holler. They won the Super Bowl. And they, you know, they just line the streets as these players paid millions of dollars or just paraded down holding up their trophy and how awesome every, they are. And, and you look at how we, as human beings, treat people like that. And how if you're a fan of them, it's just like, this is amazing. I was at the parade. I got to see Tom Brady walk down. I'm pretty sure he looked at me. It was awesome. Right? And they're just excited about their team. And those are human beings playing a game. Can you imagine? And some of his disciples knew he was God. And having God come down into the capital of your country, coming in as a parade, how exciting that would be. Now put it in context of you as a Christian, if you had been there and you know what you know now, then how, how amazing that moment would be, how electrifying the air would be of his seeing the Lord come into town. And while he may be coming to die, he still is coming as a conquering king because he's about to conquer death and hell and sin, way more than a kingdom here on earth. So as he comes down, they're, they're crying, Hosanna, 
blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And in all four gospels, there are different things that they say. And they're all, they're crying out Hosanna. They're, they're, they're blessing the king. They're blessing the Lord. They're excited about what's happening. They wanted him to come as king, right? That's what a lot of them thought they were doing. However, he didn't tell all of them and they didn't understand that he was coming to die. But he wasn't just coming as an earthly king. He was coming as God into this city. And, you know, like I said, I think he was ready for it. And was, he is God, so he is worthy of praise. For us, we'd be like, oh, no, don't cry. Don't, no, no, please don't do that. Don't, don't make a big deal about me. But he is not us. He's not a man. He is God. He is worthy of the praise and then some that they did. And so he wasn't telling them to stop. He wasn't being this humble teacher that I think the Pharisees thought he should be and telling him not to make a scene. The Lord was fine with the scene. The Lord was fine with the praise because that's why we are made to praise him. We're made to glorify him. We're made, he, he is worthy of everything that we can give and then some. And so as he comes into town, some of the Pharisees, and if you've read the Bible, the Pharisees are not big fans of Jesus, right? He, there are a couple of them that would listen, they weren't, but they couldn't make that leap to who he was. But most of them were just, he was, he was a rebel, right? He was causing problems. He was upsetting the norm, uh, the way the law was looked at, and their way of life, and kind of some of their control over the people. He was upsetting it all. And they tell him, make them stop. They just outright say, and they call him master, which they give him a little respect, but they like, he just says, master, rebuke thy disciples. He's basically saying, tell, your, tell these people to shut up. Do you, the Passover's coming. Do you not understand? This is an important time in the city, and your people are just, they're putting clothes all over the ground. Some of us have to clean with those palm branches. I mean, it's getting dirty. Tell them to knock it off. Tell them to stop. These are the same disciples that if you go over to, I think it is in John, Shortly before, these same Pharisees saw the crowds coming and have heard of the crowds and they had a conversation among themselves. And I've read this before, it just, I don't know why it never clicked with me. But these same Pharisees had a meeting before Jesus got to town and said, how, how could we kill Lazarus? The man he just raised from the dead. Jesus just raised, he was dead. Jesus raised him from the dead. And these spiritual leaders, these chief priests and Pharisees had a backdoor meeting on how they could kill that guy they wanted to kill him again do you realize the evil that these these some of these men were they wanted to kill a man that was raised from the dead by a miracle to 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 kind of snuff out jesus's fame can you imagine coming to those lengths and wanting to kill a man that has been raised from the dead how what human being would ever think well that guy miraculously died or he died and he miraculously was resurrected and not be like, that guy just needs to die of old age. No, let's kill him. Let's, let's make a plot to kill the man that he raised from the dead. What, I mean, can you, what kind of thought process goes into that? But that's what these guys are. These are the ones telling him to tell his people to be quiet. So, of course, Jesus says, get out of here. In the Hebrew, that's what, or in the Greek, it's like, get out of here. Get yourselves hence, Right? Make, make way, get out of here. He says, no. In verse 40, he said, he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, in other words, if I told them to be quiet, that the stones would immediately cry out. Now, do, does that mean he meant that if, and I, I kind of be like, all right, let's, let's try it. Let's, everyone shush, shush. The stones are gonna, the stones are gonna cry. Um, everyone be quiet, let's see this happen. I don't think Jesus was saying it would literally happen. But what he was saying is that 
all of creation understands what's happening right now. The, the earth, and we'll go to a couple places. This is all just introduction, so get comfy. Um, <laughs> the, 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 this is all, he's just getting ready. All of creation knows what's going to happen. He created the world. He created the earth. He created everything in the earth. And, and the world is kind of on edge, waiting for this moment, that this historical life-changing, world-altering moment is about to happen. And I think Jesus is saying, if they are quiet and no one praises me, even my, other parts of my creation will, will cry. Other parts of my creation do show who I am and will cry out in praise of me. So because I'm a visual aid person, I like to do that. And I don't know, it might be getting old. I found a stone. I will not throw this. I will not hit this with a hammer just because I promise you no nail is going to come towards you this time. You're welcome. Um, and I won't throw this back towards Miss Pam because it's too heavy and it would never make it. So I don't want Evan to get hurt back there. So I'm going to leave this stone here. But imagine, this is what Jesus is saying, the stones would cry out. If all the people stop praising me, if my living creation of human beings stop praising me, my inanimate objects of creation would praise me. And they do praise him. Right? So my question to you and the title of the message is you or a stone. Not are, but or. You or a stone. You or a stone. So who praises God more? Let's start with point number one. Who praises God more? You or a stone? God says that if we didn't praise him, the stones would cry out. And it says all throughout scripture that nature, creation, things that he have made declare the glory of God. That means they, they cry it out. The Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Right? Even the sky Right? And, he, and when we take really cool sunset pictures and sunrise pictures and put them on our Instagram and Facebook pages and we're like, the heavens declare the glory of God. And that is very true. And it is very pretty. And I like seeing those pictures. I have to scroll through them and I'll like, right? Bink, little thumb turns blue. That's, that's awesome. And it's very, very true. But I think we, we often bring it down to an Instagram, Facebook post, which is great and nothing wrong with that. But when we realize that it's, God made that, right? God made the world to work the way it works. And if you get to the science that uh, the world wants to decry as opposite of God, the science just proves that God is who he says he is and that God is the creator of everything. And even nature itself proclaims that God is who he says he is. The heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 96, 11, uh, it says, <clears throat> let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice. Now, does, is the, are the trees out there rocking around like giant ants, you know, praising the Lord? No, of course not. But the idea is that creation, the trees, the sea, the fullness, the fields, the heavens, everything that is in the earth moves and does what it does because God made it do it and what it does just points back to a creator not an explosion not just it fell into place and so happened to be over millions of years but it points to a being that created things and you don't even have to look at the human anatomy and the human body to see a creator you can look at the field out back right with the grass and the stream that runs through it and the trees and, the, and that beaver that's in those, that stream back there that we want to ask to move away. 
But God has created all those things and them just being point to God. And so God says, if you're not going to praise me, my creation does. Right now, God asks us to praise him and we'll talk about that. And as I already mentioned, he deserves our praise. But who praises God more in your life, creation or you? You or a stone? Does the firmament show his handiwork more than his own bought and paid? God didn't die for the sun. God didn't die for the pretty colors in the sunset. God didn't die for any tree, any grass, any lake, any mountain, any animal. He didn't die for any elephants. He didn't die for your dog, sorry. He didn't die for any animals or your cat. He definitely did die for your cat. I knew I'd get some amens there. Sorry for you cat lovers, Rebecca, I'm sorry. Um, But God didn't die for animals. He didn't die for his creation, but still creation praises him just by being. Does creation, the things he didn't die for, praise him more than the ones he died for? What's your life like? What's your life, what's your daily life look like? What's your inner monologue look like in your daily life? Is it finding all the negative things and complaining about the world you live in today? Do you complain about the president and his policies? Do you complain about the people attacking your governor? Do you complain about all the bad people out there? And does that occupy your life? Does it occupy your mind? Meanwhile, the heavens are declaring God's glory, but you got a problem with so-and-so. You got a problem with policy. You've got a problem with, I mean, and I'm, there are things out there that are wrong, and as Christians, we need to stand up for, but does that occupy everything that we do? Does it occupy my, my brain time, right? You know, the, the times where you just think, what do you think about? Are you thinking about how awesome God is? Are you thinking about living your life to its fullest and giving him everything so when it's over you've got nothing left? Or are you thinking about how the stoplight's been red way too long? Are you thinking about how that guy totally went on red and it was my turn? Do you think about the teacher at your kid's school that didn't treat them fairly? Are you thinking about, I can't, they better not bring mask mandates back because I'm going to say no. What, do you, what occupies your time? Is it that or is it, wow, God, you're awesome. God, thank you for giving me hot water this morning. Thank you for for letting me have my fridge full of food. Thank you for giving me the strength to work to make a paycheck so I can do that. You're awesome, God. I need to live today for you. Help me find somebody that I can talk to about you. Lord, you're just amazing. You've done everything for me. I don't deserve anything. This nice car that I'm driving in. This okay car, this really junker of a car that I'm driving in is still rolling down the road. Thank you, Lord, for that car. Thank you, I don't have to walk. Oh, I have to walk. Thank you for the shoes that I I get to walk in. Thank you for this bicycle that I get to ride. What, What is our attitude towards our life? We, even as Christians, it's so easy to be negative. So easy. And the devil's like, yep, that's what I want. Your enemy, right? He wants you to be opposite of what God wants. You praise God, you're happy. Because when you start praising God for the things he's done for you, he shows you all the things he's done for you and you're grateful for the things he's done. And it just brings joy, it brings happiness, it brings peace. But if you're a sour Gus, right? Sorry, Gusses. But if you're sitting with your arms folded and you're mad at everything around the world, are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved. So happy about it, can't stand it. It's the best. Someday. Now, though, it's terrible. This world is awful. Yeah, the world is awful. But you know what? You're here today for such a time as this. So what praise does God get from you as his creation? What praise does he hear from your voice, 
right? I like, I like sitting in the choir now singing because I get to watch all of you sing. You think you're watching me. No, 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 I'm watching you. Yeah, you didn't know that, did you? I like to find a few of you that sing and you're singing and you're into it. Pastor says that a lot and Brother Samuel say, smile. It's real easy to be like, it's Sunday morning, I'm here. Just be glad that I'm here and noise is coming out. And we sing and we're just like, glory to God in the highest. And that's usually the teenagers, but you adults, can, we can do that too, can't we? But as I sit up there and I sing and I'm trying to sing my part, so I'm looking at my notes and I'm struggling. So I just stop looking at my notes and just sing the melody. Sorry, Brother Sam. I look out here and I find some of you and you're singing and you're smiling. And I won't name, I won't call you out because I won't embarrass anybody for good or bad. But some of you are, you're smiling and I like, and especially that last song, I stopped singing on the last verse and I stood right there and I just scanned everybody because I knew I was going to talk about it. And I just looked at everybody in here. I made, I, if you looked at me, you made eye contact with me, which I did a few. Um, but I looked it up, tried to look at every face on that last verse and the last chorus. And I saw some of us singing and we were happy and we were into it. Whether you sing good or not, you were, you were into the song. Like Brother Sam asked us to be, to think of the words and you were into it and you were singing it and you were praising God. And I saw some of us, that their mouths were moving, and I can't hear any of you, but if I were to guess, I would have thought you were complaining about something that maybe someone put milk, or put water in your cereal instead of milk. Like someone, someone just put the milk in first and then the cereal. Something, something that just, a travesty had happened, and you were talking about it, but your face, that's what your face was saying. Your face was saying, this is terrible. And then some weren't even singing. Well, I'm not a good singer. You know, I just don't. So what? No, I can't hear it. I can't hear you individually. I can just hear us. And when we all sing, the good ones blend out the bad ones. Don't worry. The, the good ones, will they sing louder and the bad ones will just kind of fall away. But it's not about what's coming out. It's about what's, it's about what's coming out of here. It's about the praise in your heart for who God is. If you're not going to do it in church during a song service, you're going to do it on a Monday afternoon at 2 o'clock at work? Unlikely. Unlikely. Do it. This is the optimal environment for you to praise the Lord. And we make it, church services run that way. The order of service is put that way to get your heart into that point, to get you to praise the Lord. And you've got opportunities to just belt it out, not for the people around you, but for him. It's, it's, it's important. And if you don't do it, is a stone going to do it in your stead? You are a stone. Who's going to praise God more at church during song service? You or this rock? Some of you that rock did a better job, regardless of your talent, but your praise. Who praises more, the rock or you? Next, who speaks, and this kind of ties in really close, but who speaks of a savior more, you or a stone? So who praises the Lord more, you or a stone? And then who speaks of their savior more, you or a stone? The earth knows who God is. It's not, it doesn't have consciousness, right? It's not alive in that way, but it's aware of a creator. Romans 1, 19 and 20 says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Now God is showing people something. For the invisible things of him from creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. The Bible says creation tells of a savior. Creation tells of who God is, the power that he has, and the Godhead specifically. Creation 
what the way God made things and the things that God made speak and show that God is Lord and that we have a Savior. And it is, it is that information is, is understood and there's no excuse not to see it. Right? We can't say, well, I never knew. Living in America, it'd be really hard to get away with, I never knew there was a Jesus. That means, I mean, there are places where they've never heard the Lord, they never heard about the man, God, Jesus. But if you live in America, just living, and even those that live in a place where Jesus' name has never been heard, the world around them, the creation around them, points to a God. It points to a Savior. And I believe that if those that have never heard it act upon the information that God has given them, the creation that God has shown them, and go, someone had to have made that. That God will bring more information his way. Now that comes to another sermon on who's going to be the one that goes to take that message, and we aren't going there today. But God is, is, is holy, he's just, he's merciful, and he will show people himself that look. So the earth and the, all of creation cries out that there's a Savior. Who tells people more about Jesus? The earth around you or you? We struggle. I struggle with telling people about the Lord. I do. It's, it's embarrassing. It's a shameful thing. But I do because, well, it requires me to kind of insert myself into someone's life. And a lot of times people don't like you inserting themselves, yourself into their life, especially spiritually. Especially if they don't have spiritual life at all. Sometimes when you tell people about the Lord, they get mad. Sometimes they might call you a name. Sometimes they might slam the door in your face. Sometimes they may argue with you and tell you that you're wrong. You'll be like, I don't know what to say after that. Well, if they say, no, he's not, you'll be like, uh, yeah, huh? No, he's not. And they sound more intelligent than me. They may, I think they know more Bible than I do. And so I'm intimidated, and I don't want to be told no, right? Well, the reason we're afraid to tell people about the Lord is because we don't like rejection. We as a person don't like rejection. We don't like to be told no. We don't like to be told we're wrong. We don't like to be offering something and them saying, I don't want that. It'd be like you taking a gift, a really hundred bucks, and giving it to them. Be like, no, no, I don't want your money. You'd be like, oh, I'm offended. What do you mean my money? That's what you feel like. You're like, well, have you heard of this man, Jesus? He saved your soul. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. <gasps> Why? What did I do? Why don't you want Jesus? And you think it's your fault. We, as Christians, have to get over the human nature of it's, uh, he's not, they're not rejecting us. They aren't telling you no. Your job is not to get them saved. Your job is to tell them. Then they, the responsibility is on them to accept or deny. But they're not accepting or denying you. They're accepting or denying the Lord. And someone told you, right, someone told, if you're saved today, someone told you. It might have been your mom or dad, it might have been a sibling, it might have been a complete stranger. How many of you were saved by a complete stranger? Someone introduced you to the Lord the first time by someone you didn't know. It's a few, okay? There's a few of us. Someone you didn't know, just complete strangers. But they brought to you God. They introduced you to the concept of a Savior. You know, and a lot of us, there are people we do know, right, that, say, that introduce us to the Lord in that way. How many people do you know that aren't saved? How many people do you know their name? You've met them. It could be work. It could be your family. I mean, there are, we have circles of people we do know that don't know the Lord, and we're afraid to tell them, probably because we're afraid we're going to ruin that relationship here on earth for a temporary amount of time, rather than give them an opportunity to accept a relationship that will last for eternity. 
I mean, at the, at the end of time, and they're not found in the Lamb's Book of Life, do you want them to really go, we sat at Thanksgiving dinner for years, and you never told me because you were afraid I'd get mad at you? Time's up now. They don't have a chance. You don't have a chance to tell them anymore. It's over. Because we were embarrassed, afraid of being rejected, afraid of ruining a relationship, and that might happen. And that's part, that's part of faith. That's part of trusting God to be who he says he is, to take his word and make it work. It's not on you to do that. It's just on you to take the message. He will take that word. If you're worried about losing that relationship, then you need to say, God, I'm afraid that I'm going to lose this relationship if I bring this to them. But I believe that them knowing you as their savior is worth the risk of losing that relationship. Because if they see God for who he is and accept that, accept him as their savior, now your relationship is 10 times better. So we're afraid of losing the bad part, but we aren't looking at, well, but what could it be if they do accept? How much stronger? Now we're not just family by blood, we're family by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And your relationship's 10 times stronger. So who, who tells people of Jesus more, you or a stone? Thirdly, who longs more for the Lord's return? You or a stone? Who longs more for the Lord's return? Uh, go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I use this point because, you know, it may not necessarily seem in, in line with praising God, telling people about Jesus, and then longing for his return. I think the older you get, the more you long for that time to come. Um, but we've lived life, right? The older we get, we've lived more life. And so we're like, yeah, that's fine. I've done what I need to do. I do remember as a teenager, and especially in college, before I had found my wife, going, oh, Lord, you can wait a little bit longer. Let me find my wife first, you know, be in love and, and live life, and then you can come, right? As a young person, that might be the thought you think. Um, but when you think of, that's your life, when you think of your life, and it kind of goes, I mean, it all ties together, of course, but when you live your life, like the lady sang, and you live it for the Lord, your, your perspective on earth, your perspective on life is different because God, God is different. God is holy, God is perfect, and he gives us a different perspective when we're focused on him. And when we focus our life and what we do on him, we want different things. We, we aim for different things. We strive for different things, even here on this earth. When we look around us and we see our, our material things or our goals, or our dreams, here are things that we want to do on earth that aren't necessarily bad, but we can put a lot of focus into our job. We can put a lot of focus into our, our house. We can put a lot of focus into our, our savings account, our, our homes that we want in different states where it never snows that you can leave for a little bit, you know, stuff like that. And again, those aren't bad things. Those are good things. Those are great things. You can invite me to, if you have houses, I, I, will, I would love to come fellowship with you in the winter in nice places. You can ask. Um, I will say yes. Um, but we focus on those things so much that it becomes everything. It, it, we are already thinking about work tomorrow. Especially you, you guys that didn't have to work this last few days. I gotta go back to work tomorrow. And now you start thinking about Oh yeah, this was bad before I left and I have to redeal. I didn't have to deal with that for the last few days. Now I got to deal with that again. Uh, and we focus on that and we focus on the week. Maybe Thursday you've got something big going on. You got to prepare for that Thursday. And and that's what we put all our focus on. And again, you need to do a good job. You need to do your job. You need to be a good steward of what God has given you. You need to provide for your family. 
but when it becomes everything, when we're consumed by it and it's, it takes everything so now the stone is praising God more than me because all I'm doing is thinking about my job or my bank account or my car problems or my health issues, whatever takes our attention, then we don't, we don't long for the Lord to return, right? I can't wait for that day to come. There are many days that I'm, I'm not necessarily looking. I, want, I have things I want to do. I'd love to go to your, your beach home someday. Yeah, yours. I'd love to go to your beach home. I'm really laying on thick, you know. And so I look forward to day, things like that. But a beach home in, in anywhere is nowhere, nowhere near to a perfect new earth, a new heaven that we're going to live in forever. For, not, not 90 years, not even, let's say you make it to 100 that's like a small blip in time compared to forever. You're going to live in a way better house, a mansion, God says, that makes the best thing here look like, I don't know, a house of cards. Like, that's our, that's our future. Once you're saved, on your way to heaven, your future is better than anything. Because Jesus is better than anything. But we can allow ourselves to get distracted with everything that's here that we don't focus on the, f- the future, the real future that we have. So who longs more for God's return? You or a stone? Romans chapter 8, drop down to verse number 18. <clears throat> the Bible says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Do you, do you, do you, get, do you get that? Just that one verse we could read, but... I reckon, in other words, I'm thinking that the sufferings of this present time, that means in your life today, are not worthy to be compared to. The, bad, the worst thing in your life is, doesn't even come close to be even worthy to be compared to what's coming. Like, yeah, you can't say, my suffering streets of gold. You can't, you can't, it'd be like me saying, my children, right? My three children and the anthill in the driveway, they aren't worth, there's no comparison. It's not even worth mentioning in the same sentence. I'd pay the, the ants in the, dri- the driveway don't exist in my world. They're non-existent. They're there, but they, they do not exist. I do not care because my children, right? I would never take my children and compare them to an anthill, a single ant on an anthill, but we'll take our sufferings, which for us here are tough. But the Bible is saying, the sufferings you have here on this earth, your tough times, the things that take your focus, the anthills, and not to minimize your suffering, I hope you understand, but we, we focus on that ant and that anthill. It's terrible, it's, my, it's ruining my life, it's, I can't get past it, I'm struggling with it, it's, it's everything. The Bible says what is the glory that is to come, the glory that shall be revealed in you, in other words, the change that you will go through when you get to glory, doesn't even compare to the sufferings. The ants don't exist. The sufferings are... Now, does that mean that they don't happen? No, it means they happen, but it helps us as Christians to understand they're not worth all the focus, all the lamentations, all the pain and suffering. Focus on what is coming because compared to what you're going through, that is so much better. It's not even worth comparing it to. Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation, a manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willing, but by reason of him who have subjected him uh, the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. That's us. 
and to the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together till now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. The Bible says creation itself is just, it's like, again, it's on the edge. It's on the edge of a precipice, just like I can't, it can't wait for God to come back. Creation can't wait for the time where the Lord returns and set things right. Right? God made the world and in the way it was made was perfect. Right? There was no sin. Everything was as he intended it to be. Now we look at this world and we're like, this is how the world is. This is, how, this is just how it is. And we accept it. And there are good things and there are bad things. But God never intended for the bad things to be there. God wanted the good things and then the better things. That's how earth was. Earth was perfect. Right? A perfect climate. No pain, no sorrow, no sin, no, no negative anything. Everything was exactly the way God wanted it to be. That was his intention. And then he put man and woman in that perfect creation. He said, this is how I want it to be. That was his plan for, for them to have children, for us to be brought along in the future in a perfect world, to have a perfect earth with perfect everything, with perfect people, all not sinning, all praising the Lord, all glorifying him, all doing everything in our life and raising our kids in a perfect world to glorify the Lord. There's no sin, there's no crime, there's no murder, there's no hate. It's, that's the word, utopia. That's the world God, that's what his plan was. And then sin messed it all up. It all came crashing down. And even creation longs to be what God wanted it to be. Creation itself, the earth groans to be what God made it to be. But because of us, because of Adam, and because of the sin, it isn't. And it won't be until he comes back. And so even the whole creation yearns for him to return. And it says even we within ourselves, our, our spiritual side of us yearns for the Holy Spirit, for the Lord to return. It yearns to be made whole. It yearns, I mean, how much better would it be to have a perfect anatomy, perfect body, have no, no asthma, no farsightedness, no cricks in my hip and no broken feet and no, I mean, nothing negative in our, in our person. Your spirit knows that's coming. The Holy Spirit lives within you and it wants that. It yearns for perfection it yearns for that completion and we oftentimes will put suppress that push it away because we don't think about that we don't think about the lord returning we don't think about that that's an inevitable thing we think it's so far off maybe it'll happen in our lifetime i hear more and more preachers today and i know i'm getting older but i hear more and more preachers today really think it's going to happen now we know paul thought it would happen in his time too but things are definitely not getting better the bible does say things will get worse and worse and i mean it's getting worse and worse so the Lord will come back. And if, if it's in our lifetime, it might happen. Of course, it could happen any moment, right? A twinkling of an eye, right? It's, it could happen in any second the Lord could return and we could, it could be done. We could be, you don't have to go to work tomorrow. If that happens, woo, right? <laughs> but the Lord could come back at any moment. We don't live like that. We don't live like that. We live like he's never coming back. 
And that's where we end up being selfish. That's where we live for ourselves. That's where we sin. That's where we take the boundaries God has set up and back to the men's retreat, we say, eh, they don't apply to me. I can live how I want to live. Or I see a boundary and just be like, up oh, right over top of it, I'm going to do it anyway. Well, that's how we live our life. And when you live your life that way, you don't care if God's coming back. You're not, you never think about it. It's not on your to-do list. It's not in your Google calendar, right? You should, you ever, anyone ever done that? Just gone to the furthest date and just put God, Lord's return? I don't know how many years it goes. I'm going to look at that now this afternoon just so it's on my calendar. Um, that's silly, I know. But when we live our life not even thinking about it, the earth and the stones long for his return more than us. Whew, that's hard. That's, that's, that's like a wake up moment. The earth longs for the Lord to return and his people who are saved from eternity in hell, they're all whatever. I, I'm going to do what I want to do. I, if God comes back, great. If he doesn't, I'm maybe not even thinking about it. And that's a problem. Revelation 22.20, almost the last verse of the Bible, says, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. And then is added, Even so come, Lord Jesus. Who looks and longs for the return of your Savior more? You are a stone. So as I give you a few things to think about, and hopefully change your perspective if you're already doing what god wants you to do hopefully you right you take it up a notch Amen. but when you think about this stone and this earth who praises god more you or the stone who speaks about the lord and tells others of a creator and a savior more you or a stone and who is longing and looking for him to return more you or a stone. And if it's the stone, which for me it's been a stone. Sometimes a stone has done more for God than I have. Don't let that be you. Make that adjustment. Praise him. Praise him, praise him, praise him. When you praise him, then you're going to tell others about him. And when you tell others about him and you're praising him, you're going to be longing for him to come back and see him. Can you imagine? Think of the moment when you see his face. The Lord has a face. Jesus has a face. Not the drawings and pictures hanging on walls and statues, but he has a face. And you're going to see him face to face. Can you imagine that day? Some of our friends already know what he looks like. Some of our friends have seen his face. Old friends, young friends. It was Dahlia's birthday this last week, Brother George. People are, are seeing his face right now. They're looking at his face. They're looking in his eyes. I'm guessing they're hugging. I, I know I'm hugging Jesus when I see him. They're seeing him right now in his face. That's coming someday for all of us. Amen. You're saved. You're going to look him in the eyes someday. So do you want to live your life for you or do you want to live your life for him? Live your life for him. Praise him. Tell us about him. Long for his return. Stand with me if you would. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.